Old, Old Covenant or Old Testament. We have seen Jesus as the Creator, the, the Yahweh of creation, the Yahweh of Sabbath, Yahweh Shabbat. We have seen Him as the seed of woman, as the Redeemer, the seed of Abraham. We've seen Him as the priest in the order of Melchizedek. We've seen Him as well as the, the Lamb of God coming from the, the offering up of Isaac by Jacob, or I mean by Abraham. We've seen Him in Jacob's ladder as the way. We've seen Him as the coming king, as the seed of Judah. We've seen Him as the Passover lamb. Um, we've seen Him as the light of the world, the Shekhanah Chabod, um, that the, the pillar of light by night and the pillar of cloud by day. We've seen Him as the, the manna, the bread of life, the, 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 the bread which comes from heaven, as we're declared in, in the book of John. We've seen Him as the living water, as Jesus declared as well. He says that all those who thirst, let them come unto me and to drink. Um, as the water that came from the rock. We've seen him as the mediator, as the, the Aaronic priesthood that, that would stand in between man and God, and God and man. And, and we're told as well that Jesus is the, there is only one mediator between God and man, that is the man Christ Jesus. We've seen him then a couple weeks ago as the sin sacrifice from the book of Leviticus, as we considered the, the actual breakdown of that sin sacrifice and how Jesus has fulfilled that. We saw him on Resurrection Day as the first fruit of the resurrection and how he was the fulfillment of that feast as well. And then last week, we saw him as the cure, as we considered Israel in the wilderness and how they murmured and complained against God once again. And, and, and this time, they, they went beyond all and, and declared the, the manna of God that he had miraculously been giving them as worthless, as just this worthless bread that they had been receiving. And God um, sent among them probably sand vipers, some kind of a, a, a snake with a, um, a, a poisonous bite, a bite that burned, if you would, okay? And so they were called fiery serpents because they, that when they, they bit them, it burned and it, and it killed them. But they cried out to God. They, they cried to Moses to cry out to God, if you would, and, um, and asked for a cure, asked for a, a, a deliverance for that. And again, in Sunday school, we, we intimated that a little bit. We, we kind of do that a lot. We we, we, we make our bed, and when we have to lie in it, we, we what? We cry, and you know, cry out to God to, d- to deliver us. And so Israel did that once again, and, and God told Moses to, to make a, a bronze serpent, a bronze snake, and to attach it to a wooden pole, and to set it up in the middle of the camp. And that whenever somebody was bitten, that if they would go into the center of the camp and look upon that, that bronze serpent on the pole, that they would be healed. And we asked last week, as we went through that, that the cure process of all that, Jesus being the cure as well, and we're seeing that as the fulfillment of it, the first step that really they had to do was, do you remember? Believe. Believe. They had to believe that that bronze serpent on a wooden pole would really what? Heal them, like God said. Because what they really had to believe was in God's grace and God's way. Does that make sense? It's the same thing. I mean, who would believe that a man dying on a cross would give you eternal security in heaven? And so, here, when I'm, I didn't say this a little bit last week. We were kind of rushed at the end. Um, so before I rush myself today, I have freedom, right? <laughs> um, that Jesus said when he came, his purpose was not to point everybody to himself. It was to point everybody to who? To God, to the Father. In salvation, now here I'm going to sound like I'm a heretic here, okay? So just kind of hear the full thing out. Salvation in and of itself is not in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ because why? Because God said that's the way he's going to happen. Does that make sense? It's still God's plan. It goes all the way back to the same thing. Salvation, deliverance, if you would, from being bit by the, by the serpent came through looking at that bronze serpent attached to a wooden pole because God said so. That was God's grace, his grace gift to the children of Israel at that moment. Does it make sense? If God hadn't declared that it would be so, it wouldn't matter. I mean, God, if he wanted to, could say that if you ate a certain kind of mushroom three times a day, you would be saved. Does that make sense? And everybody would be doing what? <laughs> Looking for the mushrooms. And if you didn't know how to tell a mushroom apart, you'd be eating and hoping that you're not eating the one that's going to kill you. Okay? But God, in his grace, saw our situation, saw our plight, that we were dead, that we were bitten, if you would, and we were as good as dead. And he made the path for salvation for us. And so Jesus said in John chapter 3, As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For God in this manner loved the world, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But there was two sides then. They believed, but then they had to do what? They had to go. They had an act. That's right. They had to act on what they said they believed. If they were in the outskirts of the camp and they said, Oh, I believe that there's a, there's a bronze serpent in the middle. Of the, they're still going to die. God said, you've got to go look and live. So they had to believe in the plan of God, and then they had to go do it. For us today, it's the same. And that's why Jesus says, you know, they were asking, well, what's the work of God that we may do it? And he says, this is the work of God. Believe. Believe. It's the, it is the act. You, can just, you can't just say, well, yeah, okay, I get that. Listen, for 23 years I grew up in a church and I understood, I intellectually understood all that. I knew that Jesus was God. I knew that he died on the cross. I knew that he was buried. I knew that he rose again the third day. I helped usher. I helped count the money. I even preached once, as an unbeliever, as part of the youth group. I knew all that. I probably knew the, the books of the Bible. But I didn't know him. And Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. You've got to look and live. Look and live. It's not just about intellectually understanding what God has stated. It's about applying it to your life as well. Today we want to move on. We only have a few of these um, sections to go. And so, Lord willing, um, after today we have four more um, Old Testament um, things, shadows we're going to look at. But today we're going to look at the prophet. We're going to be in um, the ending part of uh, Moses' life in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Um, the book of Deuteronomy is really Moses' final message to the children of Israel. He's not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. Because of this moment when, remember, when they, they brought the water from the rock, okay, the first time it went, everything went fine. The second time, Moses got mad. And what did he say? Must we bring water for you again? And God said, listen, you stole my glory. And before that, you don't get to enter into the land. 
And so from that moment, he spent the rest of these years leading these people, knowing that he himself would not enter into the land. He would not be able to enjoy with them the entering of the land. And so he's now on the east side of the Jordan River, and he has his one last opportunity to teach the children of Israel everything that he wants to teach them. This is his final message. Now, if you think I preach long, Rodney, you're hearing this now, okay? You're all ears, okay? Grab the book of Deuteronomy when you go home, mark the time down, and then read it. When you're done, mark the time down. Now, if you, get it, if you read that in less than 45 minutes, let me know. You're a speed reader, okay? But, but when you're done, when you go through all those 30-something chapters, understand that was Moses' final message, okay? That's him declaring it, okay? And those people stood there on the east side of the Jordan River. Now, we know from the book of Deuteronomy as well that who were the people who were predominantly there listening to this message? The children of Israel. So it was all the little kids. The adults were off playing. No. Okay. Ah, okay, those, those children. Okay, yes. But he refers to them as the children of Israel. Okay. But wh- which, which Israelites were predominantly there? The men. Why? It was a patriarchal society. It was a patriarchal society. The men were predominantly the ones who were there, who were being taught. And so, whenever you read the book of Deuteronomy, and you hear these commands, like in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts. Guys, he's talking to you. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in a house, whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down, and whether you're sitting up. It's not your wife. It's you. And you shall model it in your life by putting it as a sign upon your hand, as a front lip between your eyes, and you shall write it upon the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, I praise God for my wife. I mean, she's the one who, who teaches the kids at home every day, and she does Bible time with them and stuff like that. But ultimately, whose responsibility is it for my children to love the Lord their God and to be taught God's word? Mine. I'm the one who's going to stand there. Now, these are all little sides of I apologize. But the book of Deuteronomy is, a, is an awesome book, okay? And we're only spending this one little moment in here. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, though, we see Moses coming out and telling the people that there is going to come a day in the future when God is going to give you someone else like me. He's going to give you a prophet. And when he does that, there are certain things that you need to be careful about. And so in the practical side of it, we saw in this, the reading of it this morning, in beginning of verse 9, that there were two warnings that he gave them in this midst. And the first one was, you shall not be conformed to the customs of the nations. Look at verse 9. He says, when you come into the land which Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to Yahweh. What do you think God thinks of witchcraft? Huh? Not highly? He hates it. Twice, what do we see that it's called? Abomination. He bookends it. This is an abomination. This is an abomination. It's for this reason that I'm casting out the nations before you. This is another little aside. I think as Christians, we're starting to play with that which God has said is an abomination. 
think about many of the, the recent box office hits that have been out there, the Harry Potter series. It just blows my mind how many Christians try to, to spiritualize that and make it a messianic uh, series. It's just nuts. So I just heard on Friday on radio a guy called in and asked about the Harry Potter series because he's at a church who was recommending it to their people. Harry Potter series. And now we got Twilight. If you don't know about them, don't read them. Okay? And we are taking, I mean, this is just to the extent, okay? So I'm, again, I'm, I'm picking on a, a straw man here, okay? But it's a sad thing when as a group of those who say they're called by his name can see what God declares about necromancy, about soothsaying, about witchcraft, about the interpretation of omens, and about sorcery, about a medium and a spiritist. I mean, mediums and spiritists, they're all over the... the, the I, I don't have cable, and this is one of the reasons I don't have cable. This, um, to pay for something not worth watching is incredible to me. But anyways, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I really don't get it. Why am I going to pay out money to, to not watch something? So, um, But I know from years ago when I was driving the truck and, and I was delivering a roll of carpet up in Greenwood, South Carolina, which is, again, is part of the Bible Belt, and there was this little old lady sitting there. And she's watching TV, and, 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 and I, I'm watching what, you know, seeing what she's watching, and I thought that it was some kind of a, a religious thing until I realized she's watching a medium, a spiritist, on TV, communicating with dead. In the middle of the Bible Belt, a little old lady. I thought, this is really something. Where is it today? I mean, if a little old lady who predominantly grew up in the Bible Belt, okay, so I'll be nice and give her 70. She was probably older than that. Okay? So she's grown up in the days before they took Bible out of school, right? Before they took the prayer out of school. So she's old, old school in this stuff, right? She's, and she says to me, this is really wonderful what this man is doing. This is really wonderful what this man... She wasn't doing it because she was just amazed. You know, like, whoa, what's this stuff? She was there. She was, and she was buying into it. I know when I was a kid, we had a Ouija in my house. Don't do it. I remember playing that Ouija board. I remember playing those games. And now I know on this side of eternity, on this side of salvation, the openings that that leaves into my life. And we play the games that God said, don't do it. Now, he gives us reasons why we shouldn't desire to be conformed to the customs of the nations. First of all, he tells us in Leviticus 18, you don't need to turn there, I've got... In the beginning part, I've got all these verses here because I've got so many verses I want to share. And I'm so glad the testimony time was done early, so that means I had an over an hour to preach. Um, <laughs> you're glad you're sitting in the back, Rodney. All right. Leviticus 18, 1 to 5, 24 to 30. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am Yahweh your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Is that kind of redundant there? You kind of get an idea that God's trying to say something here? 
Okay, anyways, I, I think so. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. Why? I am Yahweh your God. They're not your gods. They're not the gods who delivered you out of Egypt. They're not the gods who are wiping out the inhabitants of the land. I'm God. I'm the one who's delivering you. I'm the one who's providing for you. I'm the one who's delivering you. I'm the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, if a man, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Why? I'm Yahweh. Do not defile, this is verse 24, do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out the inhabitants. Is vomit a pretty word? What do you, what do you associate vomiting with? Sickness. Just minor sickness? How do you, how do you feel when, you, when you're vomiting? And this isn't as awesome. This is a really good you know, fam, family-friendly messages here. How do, you, how do you feel when you're vomiting? Nauseous. Nauseous. Wretched. I mean, this is not one of these moments you say you want to repeat in life. Well, I really enjoyed that moment. Can I do this again, Lord? Huh? And it stinks. I, I don't think God used this illustration just haphazardly. Do you get it? He said, the land is vomiting them out. This is how wretched, what an abomination these people are to me. That my land, my land can't stand it anymore and it's going to just vomit them out. They're gone. So he goes on and says, um, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, verse 26, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you, lest the land vomit you out. For whoever commits any of these abominations the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that you do not defile yourselves by them. Why? For I am Yahweh your God. I am the Lord your God. So, why? Do not be conformed to the customs of the nations. Why? Because Yahweh is the one and only true God. And if you are a believer, He is what? He's your God. He's your God. In the book of Jeremiah we read, Thus says Yahweh, Do not learn the ways of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, or the, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers, so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree. They cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them. Does that sound familiar? You know, taking, going out, cutting a tree and bringing it in your house and putting silver and gold all over it? Anyways, we'll leave that there. You think about that. They cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Yahweh, you are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? What an amazing statement. Who would not fear you? 
Sometimes we don't fear him. We who are called by his name, who are called upon to love him because he first loved us, and yet we don't fear. We don't believe that the wages of sin is death. And we play. And so we say, well, we're saved by grace, and so therefore I can continue to sin so grace can abound. No, we wouldn't say that. We really wouldn't say that. But we do say that. In that moment, in that instance, when we make the decision to obey our flesh rather than our God, we say what? He, he really doesn't mean what he says when it talks about fear. Who? Who? Would not fear you, O king of the nations, for this is your rightful due. Just hit the X on that. Who? Where am I at? For this is your rightful due among all the, the wise men of the nations. In all their kingdoms there is none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. Silver is beaten into plates. It is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. The work of the craftsman in the hands of the metalsmith. Blue and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. God is the true God. Yahweh is the true God. And because he is the true God, we should what? Want to be like him and not like the nations. And so we're told, don't be conformed to the customs of the nations. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament thing. You know, we say, oh, that's just Old Testament. But clearly, God brings it back over to where? The New Testament, when he talks about the how. How do I do that? How do I not be conformed? Well, we know, Romans 12, you know I'm going there. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? And so this I say, therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your holy, acceptable reasonable act of service to God, and do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed in the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do I do it? How, how, do, I, how do I live that life of nonconformance, if you would? The first and very foremost thing is I need to do what? No, I need, to, I need to offer my body as a living sacrifice. Some of us have honestly never done that. You've honestly never offered yourself fully to God. You may have received him for salvation, but you've never laid down your life. Your all is not on the altar that he may alter all that you are. And until you do that, until you lay yourself out on that altar of sacrifice, you will never experience the joy of being conformed to his image. Now, I'm not saying you can ever perfectly live that life here. But I, I know that, and I know there's still things that I'm giving up to God. I remember, and I've shared this in the past, some of you may have heard this, but I remember at a family camp many, many years ago, many, many years ago, I wasn't pastoring yet. I was, um, I was still being discipled and stuff like that. And I'm still being discipled, but you understand what I'm saying. I wasn't in the ministry yet, whatever. So um, I think Jessica was little, trying to decide if Gabrielle was even around, you know. And, and Jessica just might have been a baby. I'm trying to decide when it was. And at this family camp, I was challenging the same thing, you know, about is your all on that altar? And 
and I had to give up my, my music. I had to give up my rack system. I'd given up my family. That was easy to do, you know. You can get, take up my family. Just don't take my rack system. Now, I mean, some of you understand. I was still in my younger 20s at the time, okay? And so I, I was thinking like a child still. You know, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I talked like a child. And I was, I was it, my, music was my life, man. Growing up, I mean, I had thousands of dollars worth of music. I DJed parties and stuff. I had my FCC license so I could go on the radio. Music was my life. And so... I hadn't gotten to the point where I loved my wife like Christ of the church. I'm still struggling to do that. So I'm not sure even at that point I could have said I was a phileo minus. You know, I was probably still an eros plus, you know. You know? And, and so, but my rack system, on the other hand, I mean, I, probably was, I was probably selflessly loving my rack system, you know. And I knew I had to give up my music. And this can sound weird to you. So I don't know what it is for you. But I had to lay my rack system on that altar. And I went down front that day, and a guy got out to greet me, and, you know, and I'm thinking, get out of my way. <laughs> I don't need you. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't want to sound rude, but you know how it is sometimes. You just want to deal with God. God's dealing with you, and you just want to deal with God, and people are trying to hug all over you, and you're just like, get out of my way. This is not the time for huggy. You know, this is the time for, for me to, to, to deal with God, you know. And I'd give God my rack system, man. And, I mean, he went through my, my music like, you know. And, um, you know, I mean, I knew when I first got saved that ACDC and Death Leopard and, and, and all that had to go. The satanic stuff had to go. I mean, it just had to go. It didn't, but the other stuff, you know, it was kind of, I could, I could justify it. But I have to ask myself, back then and now, why do I listen to what I listen to? Why do I watch what I watch? Why do I dress the way I dress? Why do I want what I want? Is it because of God and his desires working through me? Or is it because my eyes are focused on the world and the world has it and I do too? Or and I want it too? Am I conforming to the customs of the world? Well, that's the why. The why is very clearly, I mean, God's God and so therefore I shouldn't. I should want what he has. So how do I do that? I've got to lay myself down. I've got to offer myself as a living sacrifice. And I challenge you, if you have never, honestly, Never, that you can remember a time when you've gotten on your knees and you said, God, everything I am belongs to you. I want to be transformed to look like Jesus. I want to think like you think. I want to talk like you talk. I want to listen to what you'd listen to. I want to watch what you'd watch. I want to speak like you'd speak. I want to do what you do. I'm not saying you can be perfect. But God will take it. I remember when I got saved, I said, God, if you can save this wicked soul, I'm yours. I gave a blank check. I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to. Because he took my blank check. And he who began the good work in me is continuing to perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And at times I buck against it. I try to jump off the altar. (laughs) But I know that ultimately... I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to the image of his blessed son. And there is no other place on earth that I can do that but on top of that altar. Does that make sense? So the first step, according to this passage, is you have to act. Remember we talked about that belief and act thing? You need to act. You have got to go and lay yourself on the altar. God is not going to pick you up and flay you out. He wants 
a free will offering. Do you remember that from the, the sin sacrifice thing? That's Leviticus chapter 1. It says you have to offer it willingly. But then when you do that, and not be conformed to the world, right? You have to, that has to be a desire then, because you're offering yourself as a bot, as, and that you have the desire not to be conformed to the world, and so therefore it's the other side. It's, God always has a replacement, if you would, replacement theology, don't go there. But anyways, it's a replacement thing. Get rid of the old and put on the new. Doesn't he say that? And then he tells you, put off the old, put on the new. There's a reason for that. Because if you put off the old, but you don't put anything else on, what are you going to do? You're going to go back, put the old back on. Put on the new, which means that, not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed in the renewing of my mind. How do I do that? The washing of the water of the word. I need to put God's word in me. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6-10, talking about this, laying yourself on the altar. It says, Paul talking to the Thessalonians, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Sounds like last night, right? With joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all their Macedonians. Macedonia and Achaia, who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only from in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. In other words, we go out and we're going to try to tell people what happened in Macedonia, what happened in Thessalonica. They already know because you guys have already beaten us there. You're going to tell everybody about Jesus. When's the last time you did that? You were so excited about Jesus, you were rushing out telling everybody. In for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Listen, do you understand these people were pagans? They were serving, actively, fervently serving other gods. But the message of Jesus Christ came to them and they threw them all out. You remember the stories in the book of Acts when they brought all their stuff and they burnt it? Because they're going to wholly, fully follow God? When's the last time you got brought some of the trash that you watch and some of the trash you listen to? And I'm not saying you do that. I hope none of you have any of that. But you took it out to the backyard and had a nice bonfire. Or stuck it in the, in the trash can. And said, I've got to get rid of it. I've got to get rid of it. If there's anything that is distracting you from wholly, fully serving your God, it needs to go. It needs to go. If you are on the altar, as the Thessalonica, the people of Thessalonica were. The second thing he warns them of is not being deceived by false prophets. Look at back in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear, according to all you desired of Yahweh your God in Horeb in the days of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And Yahweh said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up from among them a prophet like you from among the brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet, this is the false prophet that he warns of, who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of another god, that prophet shall, what? Die. And if you say in your heart, well, how are we going to know? How should we know the word of the Lord, which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the thing, that, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is, 
that thing which Yahweh has not spoken. And the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Do not be afraid of false prophets. Now, there's a couple things here in this being deceived by false prophets. I want you to, again, go back a couple chapters, Deuteronomy 13. I have it up here. Again, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, mm, and the sign or wonder comes to pass. Now, this is, goes a little bit you know, even beyond what he says in Deuteronomy 18. Now he says he gives you a sign of wonder, and it does come to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for Yahweh your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, uh, heart and all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. You shall not serve, you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be what? Put to death. Now, so both the guy who presumptuously spoke in the name of Yahweh and what he spoke didn't come to pass. But the other guy who's out there presumptuously, if you would, speaking in the name of God, but he does all these signs and wonders that are coming to pass. There's one thing in common for them. What is it? Death. Now, you and I are meeting here today as a sure sign that what didn't happen yesterday? The end of the world didn't happen yesterday. Now, look, I'm not mocking Harold Camping. He's done this before. I cannot believe the people who are following the false prophet. Now, I'm not going to condemn him and judge him and, and talk about his relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know. But what I do know from, his, from God's word is that Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour to predict the day and then state the hour that it's going to happen all around the world very clearly defies the very God that he claims to serve. And will be a mockery to the world. Because we read in God's word that the day is going to come when they are going to be mocking us, saying, oh, where is his return? Where is the sign of his coming that you keep talking about? It's not going to be us who keep talking about and that it's, it's, it's going to be today, it's going to be tomorrow. It's all these false prophets who are doing it in the name of God that the rest of the world is going to look at and they're going to minimize our testimony to them. Very clearly, I believe I am in the last days. Very clearly, I see the beginning of birth pains happening that Jesus declared. I can give you a little bit more detail about what I think about the whole process, but you know what I do know from God's Word? I don't know the day or the hour. I may know the seasons, as when my wife was to give birth and say, we'll pick on you, Ben, since, since you have the, new one, the newest entry to the world with you. You had an idea when Liz was going to give birth, right? I mean, it was a season. You knew, you know, hey, within two months, baby, you're going to have a, I better have a baby in two months. I didn't say it was going to be two months from now, but I, within two months, you'll have a baby, baby, you know. I mean, it's going to be here, but you didn't know when. It was literally going to physically happen. It may be this weekend, it may be next weekend. It could be today. And when it happened, it happened immediately. Isn't that so awesome? I love, I know, women, you don't look forward to giving birth. But I look forward, as a guy, anyways, from the theological side, of, of every time it happens. Because every time it happens, it is a reminder to me of the return of Jesus Christ. That's the illustration that, that he has chosen to use. And so if that's the case, how can anybody stand up and proclaim a day? As I've heard many people say, the minute somebody proclaimed a day, I knew it wasn't going to happen that day. <laughs> I don't know if I want to 
state that, but don't be deceived by false prophets. This passage says, just as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that there's going to be the potential of some coming who are going to be able to do what? They're going to do signs and wonders. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24. He said they're going to be able to do such, such wonders that if it was possible, they could deceive even the very elect. Listen to the message that they speak. I get so tired of hearing people say, but did you see what he did? I don't care if he makes the blind man see. If his testimony doesn't agree with God's word, it's not true. And that's exactly what I had to speak to those Mormon young men a couple weeks ago. God has spoken to me in prayer. I don't care who spoke to you in prayer. Because it ain't the true God. If you declare to me the book that you follow isn't based upon the foundation of this book and isn't in agreement with this book, and they did, finally had somebody was truthful, then the voice you heard was not God. And the peace that you have is a false peace. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we saw this morning in Sunday school from the book of Isaiah, his word is always true. It doesn't change. It doesn't need fixed by any false cult. Do you get it? But the question I have for you is, will you know the counterfeit? When, not if, when it comes. Do you know our government trains agents to spot counterfeit? And I'm sure some of you know this already. But how do they, how do they train them? They make them really familiar with the real thing. They spend hours and days studying the real thing. They don't study fakes. That's worthless. They study the real thing. So, as Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. Be ready. Be ready to give an answer. Well, how can you do that? By having prepared yourself ahead of time. You got a geometry test tomorrow. No, you really don't. But let's say you do. If you wait until five minutes before the test to study, how do you think you're going to do on, on the geometry test? Not quite so good. But if you've taken the time to study those chapters out, to go to the, to the teacher, to, to your discipler, if you would, of math, to find out the things that you don't understand. When you come to the time when, you're, when your faith of mathematics, geometry, is placed on trial, otherwise known as the test, what will you do? You'll pass. It's the same thing with my spiritual walk. Why do I think, why do you think, why do we think that if we spend five minutes in a devotional each morning that we're ever going to be prepared to swordplay with one of Satan's emissaries when they come knocking on the door. Do you know who is the greatest source of Mormon converts? 
converted Mormons. No, no. Who to become Mormon that, that didn't that weren't born as Mormons? Who would the, so where would where would they gain the greatest pull of people to become Mormons who weren't born into that? You got to get Baptists. Baptists. Not mainstream denominations. I mean, from the perspective of Presbyterian, Lutheran, and uh, Methodists and stuff like that. Baptists. Baptists. Because Baptists, and I'm Baptistic, I'm more Baptist, Baptistic than Baptists are. Okay? I, I mean that. If you ever want to know what I mean by that, you can come talk to me. We'll do that at a different time. Baptists as a whole open up their people to the spiritual realm, but then live and sit as babies. Like Darcy said last night, the rest of the world, looking at the United States Christianity, says that it's oceans wide and an inch deep. We have no depth to our faith. Now, I'm not saying it's us. I'd like to think that, I'd like to think, being the pastor, of course, that we are at least two or three inches deep. No, anyways. <laughs> that we have a desire to be deep and not wide, necessarily. But as we grow deeper, then we grow wider in our influence and extent. Does that make sense? That's what the Word of God tells us to do. Are you ready to understand who those false prophets are? In 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-12, we read, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had not come. Let no one deceive you. This is New Testament. By any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The falling away. Wow. Do you know what the falling away is? That's not unbelievers becoming more unbelievers. That's those who claim to be believers going cold. Jesus says that in that day, the lo- the, because evil will abound, the love of many will wax cold. They were not genuine in their faith. There's the word dakamas and andakamas in the Greek. The word dakamas is to be proven genuine. Adakamas is to be proven ungenuine. And so it's the woman who's, who's wearing her big ring with the, the big nugget on it. You know, the, it's glittering white and everything. And, and everybody's always impressed. Ooh, ooh, until the, the one day the man stops by and says, may I, may I see that exquisite gem? She says, oh, but please. And he takes us his little monocle, his little microscopic thing, and he, and he looks at it and says, madam, this is the, the most exquisite example I've ever seen of a cubic zirconian. In other words, a what? It's a fake. Everybody else thought it was real, but when the day of judgment, when the day of testing came, it was seen to be fake. It was adakamas, not dakamas. And the day is going to come, I believe, in my lifetime when that testing is going to come in this country. It's all around the world. We, we deceive ourselves. I mean, honestly, you know if somebody's real. Do you remember the ones they talked about? She couldn't even tell us the country. And, but every Thursday, they got to do what? they got to walk to the police station and write down that they are Christians so they can be beaten that day. Wow. Now that's something. How would you like that, huh? So every day, if you're living in Columbia County, you're going to go over to Ronald Reagan Drive so you, so you can register as a Christian so you can get beaten. 
what are they going to do that? They can, they can just be Christians in secret. No, Jesus said, and she, I love that when she, she said this, they understand this. God has just used this verse so many times in my life. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. And that's what Romans 10 is all about. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. So many people want to pretend that they believe in their heart, but they're not willing to confess with their mouth. If you ain't willing to, to talk about the Steelers, you ain't from the Steeler Nation. Do, do you get it? It's, you, and I know, Rodney, you ain't from the Steeler Nation, man. I, I know that. That's right. But if you ain't willing to talk about the Cowboys, you ain't a Cowboy fan. Am I right? If you're not willing to talk about Jesus Christ and take an abuse, I get abuse from some of you about being a Steeler fan, but I take it. And I haven't changed. I have stood to the persecution that I've received. And down here. No, amen. Some of you got to be a Steeler fan on amen in this one. Anyways, but do you understand? We laugh about it. That's joking, okay? We laugh about that. But we're, I'm willing to do that for, 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 the, for the black and gold. What am I, what, but am I willing to do that for Jesus Christ? How quickly we shut our mouths for Jesus Christ. When someone may rebuke us, or repulse us, or mock us. It's coming, folks. It's coming. Read the news. Not just from the the mainstream. See how you cannot use the name of Jesus, but you can use the name of Allah. You can use the name of Buddha. You can talk about all the Hindu Vishi. But you can't talk about Jesus. So are you willing to talk about Jesus and lose your job? Are you willing to talk about Jesus and get a beating? Are you willing to talk about Jesus and be thrown in jail? Are you willing to talk about Jesus if you go to a school and be, and be thrown out of school because you're talking about Jesus? I was excited to hear about what happened at Lakeside's graduation. That's awesome. I mean, they allowed it. The invocation used the name of Jesus all through it. It was a student who was, who was praying and prayed a long time, witnessing in her prayer. <laughs> It's awesome. And they allowed it. She had to submit it. They allowed it. I am so excited. Now, I don't know if any other high school in Columbia County would have allowed it, but they did at Lakeside. And then the, the valedictorian, or salutatorian, valedictorian, the, the guy, um, his desire is to, to go into the ministry. Valedictorian. God let him be in that spot so he could, he could proclaim the name of Jesus. He says, I think it's appropriate that we should give the one that we, that we give the most credit to, and that's, that person is Jesus Christ. I was so thrilled. I heard it not only from... Um, from Kristen Garner, who we, you know, from that perspective, but I heard it from my, my, my neighbor across the street as well. I mean, they both talked about it. This is exciting. But I'm looking forward to what's going to happen in the next six months. Is there going to be somebody who's in that Lakeside School District that's going to do what? Protest. They're going to sue the school district because of it. And when it happens, I don't know if it will. I'm not prof- being the prophet here proclaiming it, okay? But more than likely, if it's like any other part of the country, it's going to happen. If not this year, it'll happen in the days to come. And what will the school district do? Censor it. See, the principal allowed it. But I wonder if the principal went to the school district to allow it. This is what's going to be the fun part if this happens. Because somebody's going to be the what? The fall guy. You get it? Are you willing to take that stand this guy who comes this lawless one he's, he's going to be able to deceive he's going to look at what it says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of satan with all power signs and lying wonders the 
world is going to receive this individual. They're going to think this individual is it. And you're going to say what? No. It's a fake. It's a fraud. It's not real. And what do you think it makes you? Not well liked. Why do you think then the fifth seal, or the martyrs, the fifth seal in the book of Revelation, you can see that, right after the, the white, the red, the black, the pale horse, the fifth seal is the martyrs who are underneath the, the, the altar of God, who died for the faith, who died for the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed are you when men revile you for my name's sake. 2 Corinthians 11, we won't go through this. We've talked about this a lot. We just know that we're told that Satan's ministers also transform themselves to look like ministers of what? Righteousness. I believe I'm true. I believe I'm Dokimos. You don't know that for sure. You ought to be checking out everything I preach to you. Everything I teach you, you ought to be making sure that it comes from the Word of God. Not because I feel like you need to check me out. If I really did, I probably wouldn't say that to you. But no, that actually would be a good deception to tell you that. And that would kind of be reverse psychology, and then you just don't do that. You ought to be. Listen, I'm going to be accountable to God for everything I teach you, but you're going to be accountable for everything you believed and taught somebody else that you heard this guy say. Check me out. If it's not true, I challenge you, I encourage you, I urge you to come back and tell me I was wrong. That's not a gauntlet being thrown down like, ah, come on, tell me I'm wrong. You know, let me know. I want to know if I'm wrong. I really do. I may not, I may, depending on what part of my flesh I'm in at that day, I may not receive it very well. But I promise you I'll receive it. And I'll mull it over. And you can even do that at the end of the service. If, I won't allow it to become a, a little bittering contest there. Okay, But if I miss something, even in the middle, like right now, if I'm not saying something right, somebody I'll be putting their hand up saying, Bob, you're hitting, you're missing, dude. So that everybody else here is not walking away with the wrong testimony. In Colossians 10, or 2, verse 6, 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Oh, I hate, I hate the business practices that are coming into the church. The entertainment practices that are coming into the church. The church is becoming nothing more than a worldly corporation. We're not a corporation. We're a body. He is the head. We're the body. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have wisdom and, and want to do all things with, with decently in order before the world. But we're not of the world. Be careful. Even in your own businesses, you shouldn't be running them like the world runs them. You should be running them as Jesus ran. Todd, I think you're the one who told me this. Uh, you have a, a meeting with your employees every week. About every two months. And, and, and you just told me the other day what you told them, that if we run our business according to the practices and principles of Jesus Christ, we won't have any problems following the practices and the principles of the world. Because God's standards and morals are what? So much higher than the world's. So if, if you are seeking to be like Christ in everything you do, the only thing that the world is going to be able to do is condemn you for being righteous. And the day will come to do that. But better to be condemned for that. So, don't be conformed to the customs of the nations. Don't be deceived by false prophets. And what do we know about Israel? They didn't heed the warning. You have verses in your, in your, in your uh, sermon note sheet you can go to there. But in Psalm 106, we're told very clearly they didn't do that. 
They became like the nations who were all about them. And they began to listen to false prophets. And sadly, I believe the church, the modern day church, is starting to do the same thing. Has been in a practice of of heading that way. Now, I'm not picking on music. I'm not picking on this. I'm I'm just, just ask yourself, why do you do, why do we do what we do? Let's move quickly through this next part, the prophetical application of this passage. What, what does Moses say were indicators that we should look for this prophet who was to come, which we know is Jesus? First of all, we're told that he would be what? Sent by, sent by God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. Verse 17, where we read, And Jesus was handed the book in the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of Yahweh is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What did he just claim to be? Somebody? Not just God, but the servant. The, 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 the anointed servant who was to come, that he was ser- sent by God. Flip over to John 4, John 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Flip over a couple pages, chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he what? He sent me. Probably right there on the same page for you, chapter 9, verse 4. Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Jesus over and over and over again proclaimed that he was what? Sent. No, sent. He was sent by God. And so, for the point here, and that is when the prophet, the prophet who was to come, the first thing we know that Moses declares is the, that the prophet would be sent by God. Jesus very clearly what? Fulfilled that. Secondly, he would be a what? An Israelite. Moses said that one would come from among your brethren. Now this is, this is important here. Okay, End time stuff. There's a lot of conjecture who Antichrist will be from. Okay, But he's going to come with great deceptions. If Jesus isn't the real deal, if Jesus, we know he's the real deal. Okay, But let's say for a moment, he's not the real deal. Who would we be looking for? An Arab? Would you be looking for a Jordanian? For a Saudi Arabian, maybe a German, maybe somebody from America, of course, right? No, you'd be looking for an Israelite, somebody who was of the brethren of Moses. God was pretty clear. So what about Jesus? Well, we know very clearly, you don't need to turn there, you you can if you want, but we know very clearly from the Gospels, from Luke chapter 2, from Matthew chapter 1, that Jesus' genealogy is specifically stated there for a reason. 
to prove that he is the prophet, that he is Messiah, that he came from the genealogies that were prophesied of concerning him. Thirdly, he would be God's spokesman. And we're told that whoever doesn't listen to him is going to give an account to who? To God himself. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Turn back to the book of Matthew again. Matthew chapter 17. Verse 5. While he was still speaking, John the Baptist, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What? Hear him. Listen to him. John 12, um, verse 47 and 50. You can turn if you want, but I'll read it real quick. It says, If anyone hears me, or if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has one who judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And so you can go to John 8 as well and see it as well. But very clearly, Jesus proclaimed that he was what? God's spokesman. And to not listen to his word was to not listen to God's word. And Jesus himself, though he will be the judge, is not the one ultimately that you're going to give an account to. You're ultimately giving an account to God the Father because of it. Finally, he would be certified by his, his works. He would be certified by his works, that he would be testified by what he did. And we see this again in Jesus' life. In John chapter 3, if you're there in John, you can turn to John 3, where it says, um, this man, this is Nicodemus, says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one else can do these signs that you do unless what? God is with him. So Nicodemus proclaims what? Listen, we know that something's got to be going on here because, man, you couldn't, you, there's no way that you could be doing the things that you're doing unless God was with you. What about just the people then who were there as well? When Philip, John 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus the Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip said to Nathanael, he says, Listen, we found, we found him. How did he know? Because of the things that Jesus was, was doing. Okay? And uh, John 6, it says, Then, then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly this prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. And so the people around Jesus testified to the fact that he was, he was God, or that he was that prophet as well. And then on your sermon notes, you'll see, it says, Attested to as well by the apostles from Acts chapter 3. Okay? And so the apostles themselves gave declaration concerning the things that Jesus did as testimony to the fact of who he was. Now, the question to us is, how set apart are you? 
I want to go back to that practical side. I mean, that's the whole, really key for us in this whole thing. How set apart are you to God? Are you, have you heeded God's challenge about not taking the customs of the nations upon you? Are you conforming to the customs of the nations or to the image of Christ? There, there is no, there is no, you know, walking on the fence. I'm going to straddle. I'm, I got a foot here and I got a foot here. It doesn't happen that way. If you're fully on offering yourself as a sacrifice on the altar of God, then you can't be straddling both ways. You know, it's none of this, okay, I lay myself on the altar. My feet are fully on what? The ground. I want, I want to be both. You know, you can't be both. Do you know how they laid in, the sacrifice on the altar? They tied it. They bound it. Feet and feet. Anyway, front feet and back feet. Anyway, so hands and feet, if you would, for us. They, they tied it up and laid it holy on that altar. Are you holy? Which, which, which are you looking at to be conformed to? How faithful are you to listen and heed the words of Christ? Jesus said to those Jews who believed on him, If you abide in my words, then... You are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you are spending more time abiding in the words of the world, then you will, of the world, be conformed. But if you are abiding in God's word, and in Christ's word, then you will, of Christ, be conformed. You make the choice. And you're not going to give an account to me. You're not going to give an account to your brother. You're not going to give an account to your sister. You're not going to give an account to your dad. You're not going to give an account to your mom. You're not going to give an account to your son. You're not going to give an account to your daughter. They all may have impacts and influences and may have a, a, a result that comes by your decision. But ultimately, there is one who you will give an account to. And that is God himself. And if that doesn't bother you, then I would say you need to check where you're at. Because if, it, if you don't worry about giving an account to God, if you don't care what he thinks, then you're probably not his. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, you are too good to us. Your grace is overwhelming at times. We are undeserving of it. We, like the Israelites, have murmured and complained and disputed. We have... Uh, turned our eyes at times to the world and have desired to be like the world and to have what the world has and um, have, have coveted the things of the world, Lord. We've been jealous of them. And you've said overwhelmingly in your word over and over again, do not be jealous. Do not be jealous of, of the wicked. Do not worry about what they have. Their reward is coming. Lord, help us to look to the future reward. Help us to recall the inheritance that we have in you. Oh God, truly, what we have waiting for us in heaven, where the moth and the rust do not corrupt, is so far greater than we could ever have or experience in this world. Keep us from those sins of presumption, Lord, presuming upon your grace. Help us to be fully laid upon the altar 
And for those of us, Lord, who may have laid us laid ourselves on that altar in the past and have desired to at times slip slip off it again and go our own way, Lord, forgive us and help us to to stay up there. Lord, I pray that we would know you in the power of your resurrection, in the fellowship of your suffering. That we would put aside those things which are behind and reach forward to the things which are before. That we would press toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.